morning church. On a university campus, the son of a minister, a science major, said, I have been reared around Christianity all of my life. I have eaten with it three times a day and slept with it at night. It's been crammed down my throat until it made me vomit intellectually. I'm here to tell you that I am through with it. God is dead, the Bible is a myth, and Christians are smug hypocrites. The church, the establishment, has nothing to offer. His words are not shocking to me. In fact, they express the thinking of most of the postmodern world in which we live. So how does the church answer the charges made? I want to briefly analyze the nature of our contemporary world and its real needs and see what, if anything, the church has to offer those needs. We live in a renewed space age where there is no limitations perceived to the human potential. Humankind has conquered the atmosphere and is ready to offer trips to outer space. We communicate by satellites in orbit around the Earth in the twinkling of an eye. We have developed computers which can do in milliseconds what once required hundreds of skilled people many months to achieve. Science has become our god. It provides food, clothing, shelter, ease, comfort, and recreation. Accordingly, science becomes the object of worship. This is the environment of modern people. These are their discoveries, pursuits, attainments. That which belongs to other ages and other days is fit only for the museum. Religion belongs to yesterday. It has nothing vital left to offer. And this is the conclusion of secular society. It may seem that those of us who maintain our fidelity to the Christian faith are helpless and naive, but the whole story has not been told. True, we live in a pagan world, but it was a pagan world in which Christianity originally entered. Christianity in the first century transformed the world. It offered, it offered the world what was needed, and although the world was confused and marched blindly without knowing its own need. Christianity is related to persons, not to things. And there is something about humankind which things can never satisfy. Jesus declared that a man's life consists of not of the abundance of things which he or she possesses. And I would suggest that human nature is not really changed. The people who rode on the rocket ship to the edge of space in the 21st century are no different from those who rode on the back of a plodding donkey in the first century. They're still the same, they're one. The void, the emptiness, the vacuum which can never be filled or satisfied with things creates sleeplessness at night on beds of luxury. It drives people to despair amid affluence. It creates suicides of those who have the most. It leads to deep depression amid success. The pain and the emptiness cannot be permanently averted or avoided by drink or narcotics or sexual indulgence. Always there is the moment of awakening conscious and with it the gnawing of the inner loneliness. People desire rest and that rest can only be found in God. Humanity was made for companionship, for fellowship with God, and until we find that, we can never truly be at peace. This is what the church has to offer modern humankind, purposeful living with inner peace as the reward.
We look for purpose in the universe writhing in the agonies of war, torn by the fangs of prejudice, and frustrated during times of plenty. Those who surrendered to Christ originally were not called Christians. The church was not given a title. God's program was simply called the way. Those who accepted it are the people of the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. He was not the way of life at all. Instead, his was the life of the way. The church can show people the way, not by pointing to a book on systematic theology, but by living the Christ life. And the world needs to know the way if it's to be rescued from its aimlessness. So let us inquire, what can the way offer the lonely crowd, the restless ones, and the revolutionaries? There are several things that every human being must have for his or her happiness and well-being. One may ignore those needs and scoff at them and ridicule them, but they are needs required in a person's heart that lead to confession. First, every person must have a solution to the sin problem. Humankind is the only animal which can live in three dimensions, past, present, and future. We are also the only animal with a built-in monitor called the conscience. Through memory, we are aware of our sins of the past, and through imagination, we can foresee the punishment of the future, for we know that we're responsible beings. With guilt pressing in on one side and fear of judgment pressing in on the other, there is no present relief. We live alternatively with guilt and fear, and this is what we call depression. We cannot undo a single act that we have ever committed. This creates a sense of hopeless futility but we can be forgiven in Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, Colossians 1.14. This forgiveness removes the guilt of sin and enables one to be justified by God. Justification is simply to declare one free of guilt. When the past is cleared up, there will be no fear in the future. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, Romans 8.1. No fear or anxiety need to be felt when one is in the way. Second, humankind must have a purpose in life. Existence without purpose is like trying to play football without a goalpost or lines or boundaries marked on the field but the way puts us back in the track again. It is evident that the accumulation of things is not the real aim of life. Humanity is never satisfied with things. The thrill of the kill craves constant striving for more. Money multiplies until it becomes a worry. Real estate accumulates until it, its upkeep becomes a burden. Recreation pales and time grows heavy on one's hands. Humanity was made to glorify God, to seek the divine will for life and to fulfill it. Only when a person opens his or her heart and is indwelled by the Holy Spirit can that person reach out beyond oneself. Third, humanity must have a sense of belonging. What we're speaking about is a sharing of a common life that is in an elevated supernatural place. We are elevated to a new plane of life and service. We share with the redeemer and the redeemed in a state which was called by the Greeks koinonia. 
Koinonia in Christ is the common life of all the forgiven ones. The forgiven ones are also called saints, and these are not the serene paintings of people with halos and the goody-goody religious type. These saints whom we speak of were a hearty lot. They were saints because they had heard the news about Jesus and believed it, and they responded to it. They were down-to-earth people who then caught up to heavenly places by the grace of God. When Jesus took up his abode in their hearts, they found that life was on a new dimension. They were no longer concerned about living the rat race. Gone was the hatred, bitterness, and animosity which once ate like cancer at their vitals. They were now free. They were free to love one another. They were free to love even their enemies. Here was life sharing on the highest level in the world. Modern humans are empty in their loneliness and inner emptiness. They resort to all sorts of addictions to numb one's brain and help them to forget, but it's of no use. The cold gray dawn comes with its realization of wasted time and powers. In contrast, the way offers another form of godly intoxication which exhilarates, thrills, and leaves no aftermath of remorse and no morning after headache. And be not filled with wine, which is in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. Let's be perfectly honest. The modern church, like modern people, has often lost its way. The church has become preoccupied with structures and organizations and programs and performances. I appreciate our restoration heritage and motto, Christians only, but not the only Christians. The way is not composed of things. It is personal, it is living, it is vibrant, it's pulsating with joy. It flings wide the door to every sad and sin-sick soul. It is not a country club for the in-group, but a hospital and a home for the out-group. There are no artificial barriers to deprive anyone from whom Jesus has died. There are no color lines, no social casts. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life for all. So what does the way have to offer? It has fellowship for the frustrated, comfort for the concerned, faith for the frightened, and strength for the stumbling. It offers strong arms of love reaching out to the lonely, a depth of compassion for the desolate, and hope for the hopeless. This is the fellowship of Christ. Fourth, people need a savior to overcome death. Death is the universal experience. Death is inescapable, it is inevitable, and we shrink from it because of its finality. It is here that the way offers hope which can come from no other source. The way is not a philosophy based upon human rationalization. It's not a compilation of laws or codes or a system of doctrines and dogmas. It is faith based upon real fact in history, a fact substantiated by testimony as any other fact in history. Jesus of Nazareth arose from the dead. He became the first fruits of them that slept, and he brought life and immortality to light, to light through the gospel. Life becomes worth living, its sacrifices give meaning, and its sufferings lead to glory that it shall be revealed. When humanity comes to fear life more than death, one does not need death, but a new life. 
the new life which God gives through Christ. When we learn how to live, then we'll know how to die. And death will not be the slamming door shut on an unwelcome door to an unpleasant experience. It will be the opening of a portal to a more glorious vista. Only the way can make death meaningful because it is the way of life, not a blind extinction of personality. Koinonia with God is not limited to this fear or state. It cannot be severed by death. It is eternal, enduring, and unquenchable. The grave can no more contain it than it could keep its author. It is here that atheism fails. It never rolled away a stone from a sepulcher. It believes nothing, it can offer nothing. Lastly, humanity needs fulfillment. Within every individual, there is planted the germ of uniqueness which seeks expression. Being made in the image of God, every human is a creature of dreams and visions. Even while one's feet are in the clay, our heads are in the clouds. The poem which climbs from the depth of the soul, the song whose melody haunts the mind, the symphony with strains that waft into the rapture, the canvas which catches the colors of the rainbow, all of these are witnesses to the creativity of the human spirit, that spark of the divine which glows within us. Yet of even greater moment than the song or the symphony or the painting is the inner being of the heart where these things first resided. To take that heart and make of it a vessel fit for the use of God in the work of the divine potter. When we submit ourselves as clay upon the revolving wheel of life and allow ourselves to be fashioned by the skillful hand of deity, we become a work of divine art and utility. Yet even God will not shape us against our will. For to do so would destroy that which makes us made in his own image and to rob us of our own creativity. The way brings us into harmony with the divine. It bridges the chasm which sin carved out. It flings a cable from the human to the infinite which will make communion possible once more. Koinonia, the sharing of a common life, the life of the spirit, the life of God, eternal life. This is the reward for one who's in the way. And in the everlasting kingdom of God, this flesh will flow on, this life will flow on unceasingly, unshackled, uninhibited by time or space, unhindered by limitations of the flesh. The way is not a code of laws interpreted and applied by a court of fallible human beings. It is not another system of religion with its liturgies and rubrics. It was the word made flesh in the babe of Bethlehem. And it must be the word made flesh in each one of us today. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And when he dwells in you, that life will be in you and that life will be the light of all of you. You are the light of the world. David? Thank you, Brad, for the truths uh, that you shared from the word and the perspective. And thanks you to all of you uh, for being here. You know, the activities of the church don't happen without you. Uh, and all the funding of those activities and things like that. Uh, 
we we need a savior who is gentle and lowly and that's our that's our sermon series and a reminder of that contrast and the folks living in the world the way brad describes uh, will be drawn to us living differently and the example uh, that we can provide shift gears a little bit from what I intended. I really appreciate Brad's words and, and uh, um, you know, living God's way is different. It looks different. It feels different. And we will be noticed by the world if we do that. And we need all those things that Brad described uh, and, that, and that Christ offers to the world, and, but we need to be living it so they can see it. And so do embrace the Father fully in your walk with him and all the change uh, that that calls us to. Um, it will make a difference not only in your life, but in the life of, of those around you. Um, an analogy for me uh, that I go to pretty regularly because it's very tangible is uh, my marriage. Uh, Amy cannot expect more from me than I have to give to our marriage. And that's, that's, that's given, that's common sense, that makes sense. But me doing the bare minimum to honor our wedding vows and to stay married, that's a pretty sad scenario and, and easy to see. If, if I'm generous in how I honor our wedding vows, what a difference that makes in the quality of our marriage and our lives and the impact we have with our family. To have and to hold her in sickness and in health, in good times and bad, forsaking all others, all of these good vows. Doing the bare minimum is a sad scenario and being generous in that. And so the same in our relationship with Christ. Instead of the bare minimum or what do I need to do, we are called to an abundant life, all in. Can we uh, love God with all our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength? What a life that is and what an impact that has. And, and we can encourage each other in that. Uh, being generous in our giving with the church is kind of an now is, is a piece of that. You know, God has commanded us uh, and our, the reflection of our giving to the church is just a part of our relationship with him, but being generous there uh, makes a difference in what we can do and what he calls us to. God has been very generous with us. I can shift gears a little bit. 
to the church budget. You know, our giving's been down because of COVID for the last year and a half, but our expenses have been down. God is providing. And you have been very generous. Uh, September, if you notice in the midweek bulletin, uh, was the first month in a long time that our giving exceeded the budget for that month. And so uh, returning to the level of giving that we have had before is an awesome thing to see. And you've been generous in funding the Jeff Earnhardt School Project in Honduras. Uh, that all the funds needed have been collected for that uh, from earlier in the year. What a great example uh, of obedience to God and, and doing that. I, and that's just one part uh, of our life with Christ. Uh, our volunteering, our reaching out to folks, our seeing the needs and doing something with them, our willingness to grow, learn the word, uh, all these elements, uh, part of being all in. And so our Savior, who is gentle and lowly, accepts us right where we are and asks us to grow from there. Uh, if you have not obeyed the gospel, God is calling you, and you are welcome here. Let us help you find God and obey. Put him on in baptism. Uh, any of the elder staff, anybody here you're comfortable talking to, let them know that you're hearing the call, and we'll work you through the rest of, the, of that journey. And, and you are welcome to join us and commit to that path. May we draw closer to God as we honor him by living generously his way. Uh, thank you all again for being here, all that you do, and on the example that you are for all of us.